is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Yes, hello, good to be with you today. It is 12.30, Michelle Stanley is my name. And there's been a bit of talk around the price of mangoes falling off pretty sharply of late. It's left some growers with a really difficult decision to pick or to leave fruit on the tree and walk away. Oh, look, you, you, you sit there and second-guess yourself and you think, should I or shan't I? But at the end of the day, you can't afford to have a loss. That, that's it in a nutshell. It's a decision no one wants to make. You'll hear from that grower before one o'clock today. Also, some good news, particularly if you're a fan of oysters. There have been attempts to get a tropical oyster industry off the ground in parts of northern Australia for years now, and scientists have had a breakthrough in one particular variety. With climate change and temperature increases and warmer waters, it means the Sydney rocks can only go further south, so we can't actually increase it. So we're trying to find another species that oyster farmers can grow together, so when they have one problem with one oyster, the other one can still get to market. You'll hear about the successes that have been had in the oyster industry a little later this hour and if you'd like to get in touch today the text line is always 0487 991057. First up today though as the rain is starting to pick up in the lead into Christmas cattle are making their way from the floodplains to Indonesia. The Ocean Swagman, it's one of the biggest livestock vessels to call into Darwin and over the weekend loaded up to 6,000 head of cattle bound for Indonesia. I headed down to the port and caught up with Colin Webb from Bondstock Rural Exports who says it's been a challenging year for the industry. It's been a tough year. Uh, we've been on and off for a bit. Uh, prices have fluctuated a bit. We're still facing um, tough trading conditions uh, in, in our markets, but we're getting a few cattle away at the end of the year now to um, tidy our clients over. Um, some here in Darwin today for Indonesia, and uh, we're loading a few today in uh, Townsville as well for Vietnam. Can you tell me about the year that was 2022 I mean it was all over the shop really but what were the challenges like for you? Oh, basically uh, the price uh, challenges we had this year for, for selling cattle into our markets um, we're still on historically high cattle prices the oil price early in the year didn't help us with freight so we've done the best as we can for our, um, for our clients um, but we're looking hopefully for some relief soon um, to get some better trading. In terms of numbers, what was this year like? Uh, we're probably down 20 or 30% on our numbers last year. Um, last year it seemed to hang on a little bit better. This year it cut out um, when prices got too high. Um, and then also we had the issues with um, FMD and LSD scares in Jakarta uh, over that sort of July-August period. That seems to have covered a bit now, but um, we're still still tough. How long have you been working in this trade? A uh, long time. Um, probably yeah, I started um, the early 2000s working. And in the last eight... 20 years, where would you put this at in terms of you know, the, dif the difficulty of the year? 
Oh, it's up there. It's 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 hard. Um, the the trade's still open and we're still punching away, but um, it, it's tough. It's tough to get um, to get cattle to our clients for them to um, to them to make some money and and um, and be profitable as well. What do you do as a business to make sure that you are able to still keep those cattle on ships and, and keep the doors open? We work with our clients to see where the best value is. Um, Sometimes it's on some heavier cattle, shorter fed, um, quicker to slaughter. Sometimes it's long fed um, feeder cattle. We just work with them and what's available in the market and, and um, how, they, how they best can manage their business. The FMD and, and LSD discussion was obviously, you know, all, all the topic of conversation earlier in the year around June, July. Um, now it's not quite as front of mind for the rest of Australia. How are you seeing it play out in markets heading into the end of the year? It's definitely a concern, um, especially LSD. Um, FMD, the vaccination process in Indonesia is rolling out um, uh, a bit slowly, but, it, but they're getting there. Um, so that's, that's helping us there. Um, LSD is still a concern. There's a bit of work going on about how it's um, travelling and moving through Indonesia. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we still have to keep punching on. The latest news with LSD was the sort of confirmations around East Java. Has that changed the way you're operating or doing business? No, I don't think so. Um, it's still still a while away, and as I say, they're still working out about the transmission, whether it it's on insect vectors or or through cattle movements. Um, so, you know, we just have to keep going with the conditions we've got and and keep um, keep sending cattle in. So, what does the next couple of weeks left of 2022 bring for you? Uh, Christmas, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Bit of a break. Yeah, yeah, a bit of a break. Um, we'll uh, get these two ships away today and um, yeah, have a bit of a break and look forward to 2023. What does 2023 bring, do you think? Oh, I don't have a magic ball. I don't know. Um, look, we hope, that, um, we hope that we can work together with the producers in Australia to keep them uh, going and work with our clients in um, in Asia to keep them going and find a happy medium and keep shipping some cattle. The price, I mean, it depends who you speak to as to what the price is doing. How much longer can you continue operating as you are if, if the price kind of stays around where it is at the moment? Uh, the price is dictated by, by a few different factors. Um, as I say, the, the world oil price affects our freight rate, the US dollar... Uh, affects our um, our currency uh, changes, so uh, we we still um, we manage it on several levels. But you know, our clients would like a bit of a reprieve, a, a little bit less price. So we only see what happens. I'm sure you would too. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're still it's still going alright. We're just slowly. Colin Webb from Bonstock Rural Exports. He mentioned it had been a particularly difficult year for the live export trade with those high prices and the confirmation of foot and mouth and lumpy skin diseases in Indonesia. But unlike other years, the trade is expected to continue rolling through the new year. Tom Dawkins from the NT Livestock Exporters Association says December has been a busy month. 
The Swagman's uh, one of the bigger vessels that uh, calls Darwin, uh, probably about twice the size of the uh, the average ship. So uh, that that was probably going to be taking, you know, uh, depending on the size of the cattle, but five or six thousand heads. So um, when supplies uh, tighter, that that can be a harder ship to fill. But uh, great to see it back. It was it was here in December last year and uh, in the middle of the year and. Um, I think it's one of 12 or, or more ships in, in Darwin this month, so it's a busy, busy period. How is December tracking for the export industry? With some ships uh, with smaller capacity than the Swagman, so back ranging sort of from 2,000 head up to three and three and a half, um, there's, a, there's a lot of activity happening. And we do come to expect that a bit um, for December. You know, we've just um, got, a, we've got a pretty handy shower come over us um, as we're speaking and there's always a, a bit of momentum to get cattle um, on the ship uh, to Indonesia before it gets too wet in the top end and, and that's the way it's lined up for this year. Um, and November will um, uh, November was, was a reasonable sort of uptick. Uh, December will be um, busier again on that, which is, which is encouraging. It's a difficult trading period still for everyone but um, it's still a supply chain that relies on throughput so as long as there's animals being uh, bought and sold and transacted well you know you can tell that there's some enthusiasm and, and some optimism about uh, about the coming months. The cattle that are going through Darwin this month what sort of prices are they getting? It's always a hard time of the year to, to call the market there's always some some well sought after annual lines that get stockpiled on the floodplain here near Darwin and they were certainly helping to push some average prices back up above $5 a kilogram live weight. But we are seeing now and, and as we have seen for the past 12 months a, a good variety of animals that are being shipped so um, some, some cattle with a bit more weight in them and maybe a bit more age than the, the typical Indonesian feeder so once once we're above that uh, sort of 300 to 350 kilo range for for high content Brahmin calves we do start seeing some discounts there but um, it'll be an interesting next few weeks over over Christmas into January February there were some very high profile prices achieved um, sort of out out of season a bit in in February last year that that will, um, you know, well in advance of five dollars. So it'll be interesting to see what comes forward. And we, we we welcome good returns for producers, but we also, you know, having just come back from Jakarta, uh, also have a, have a mind as to what's a sustainable price point for for our customers in in a price sensitive uh, market where there, there's essentially a a limit put on what they can sell their um, their cattle and beef for. Yeah, it was around January, February that we were hearing headlines of $5.50. Do you reckon that you'd be getting up around that again early next year? I think if, if the, uh, the order is there and the, the right cattle are, are found, that um, you know, you'd be a fool to say that uh, you know what, what will be in store because we've seen that when everything lines up the right way and you know, there's no doubt that the animals that attracted those prices were, were very good types for this trade and um, you know the producers were rewarded it's not an easy thing in the top end to, to hang on to um, 
to, to uh, Indonesian feeders, you know, through December, January, Feb, bit of a risk. So they were rewarded for that, and I guess we'll wait and see. It's still a difficult market to read, and though we're a busy couple of uh, weeks here now, it's you know, we're, we're, I guess uh, the trade's still operating, you know, in, in the mid-gear range rather than top gear and, and revving all cylinders. On the country, I'm Michelle Stanley with you, and you're hearing from Tom Dawkins from the NT Live Exporters Association. There's a bit of a shower going on on top of the uh, the Berrimah Yards where we're standing at the moment, um, but we've been talking about the prices, and it has been a, a difficult year for the industry. How has that changed the type of cattle that is being sought after? Has, has there been much of a difference there? The shape of the trade has changed, and that to an extent shows that it's a pretty resilient and adaptable uh, business model. Um, so, you know, historically when uh, we've had higher herd numbers and stronger supply, I think the preference from Indonesia has been for the lighter, lighter weight Brahmin animal, you know, 300 kilograms plus, and su- suited to, to their needs, which is um, to put on feed for 100 or 120 days. As we've been at you know, extremely low national herd levels and there's been a competition for Northern Territory cattle to go back to Queensland and elsewhere, there's been a, a bigger variety of animals traded, some older animals, some heavier animals, and I think that, that that's been important that, that because that, they've been um, able to, to inject a bit of profitability into the balance sheet. And even um, yeah, the, the shape of the buffalo trade that we've seen, it's sort of a similar category, I guess. It's, a, it's an animal that can ship alongside the, uh, the traditional feeder lines on the, on the vessels and go into to our you know, customers' feedlots. But that, the, the, the swamp buffalo at that weaner rate is, is still, um, you know, maybe still up to half the price of a, of a comparable feeder. So uh, Indonesia has is being forced to look um, at, at alternatives and that I think that will stay with us even if we get a better supply of, um, of these uh, you know, traditional Indonesian type cattle next year and thereafter. You said it's going to be a busy December. It was obviously quite a mixed year with a bit of a break in you know, when the FMD and LSD um, detections in Indonesia. On the whole, how do you think this year is looking compared to previous years? Yeah, we, we're a pretty resilient business model here. So you, you do work on you know, periods of high volume and then periods of lower volume. Um, certainly Darwin, which you know, does about 80% of its business with um, Indonesia, that has been a steadier um, trade than, than some of the other supply chains um, and some of the other supply areas. You know, Northern Western Australia... Townsville, they've probably had a greater downturn than what what we've experienced here um, in the Northern Territory. So, I mean, we, we all do work on uh, the swings and roundabouts of seasons and, and markets. Um, we, you know, we, we always operate on, on, on the fact that you're not going to make your biggest profit every year. You're going to have some tougher years. It's um, well and truly pouring down here, um, but I will just ask, in terms of numbers, how much lower do you think 2022 will wind up? I think roughly, if we're if we're sort of um, back to you know to almost half the, the historical average, that's a quiet year. But it's a um, as I say, compared to 
um, what we've seen in North Queensland, what we've seen in terms of animals uh, going into Vietnam. Well, this, this Northern Territory Indonesia trade has stood up remarkably well. It's a tricky, uh, tricky job to, to know what's coming next year, but um, I can tell you that the, the commercial operators are here um, because they're, they're, um, they're pretty determined and they're always quite upbeat about what, what's coming around the corner. Well, Tom, we are both fairly drenched. Thanks for your time on the Country Hour today. It's great to catch up. It's, it's always good to talk to the Country Hour, especially during the wet season, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, and it was wet as well. That was Tom Dawkins. He's the CEO of the NT Livestock Exporters Association, chatting with me through quite a heavy storm at the Berrimer Export Yards on Saturday. We'd just been down to the port and saw the ocean swagmen getting loaded up to 6,000 head of cattle off to Indonesia. And we talked there about the numbers. Um, and, yeah, the average is about 400,000 head of livestock out of Darwin every year. This year, including buffalo, expecting just over 200, about 230,000 head of cattle and buffalo this year. So numbers quite down. It is 13 to 1 on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you. And this is Paul Kelly. The song is called Maralinga. Hi, my name is Remy. I'm working at a tropical fruit farm out in the rural area of Darwin. We're a mango and dragon fruit grower with three different varieties. the red, white and yellow. And you're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio. Eight minutes to one. Michelle Stanley with you. And we have spoken a little bit lately about tropical fruit and the flood of mangoes on the market, which caused some low prices heading into Christmas. You might have caught Christopher Cope from the Sydney markets on last week's program. This year is, is probably one of the worst years we've seen it for a while for that Darwin fruit at the end. Um, you're talking about a dollar a tray. I mean, that doesn't cover the cost of the package or the transport separately or the packing or the merchants in, in storage or anything else. The dollar's nothing. I mean, it costs them about $16 to land fruit on the market these days from, from the Northern Territory. So it's, that's, that's a lot of money. You've, you've got to get – you really need $20 and more to, to make some money. But as we get into the week before Christmas, the price will lift again. What it'll lift to, I don't know, but – It'll it'll lift up from from it'll lift up five five six ten dollars. Maybe some good news coming, but unfortunately, the expected price lift, Christopher Cope from the Sydney Markets just mentioned, it's actually come too late for some producers. In Western Australia, the state's biggest mango grower has been forced to call time on his season, with a heap of high-quality fruits still left on the trees. Steve Angel runs Swag Rural Mangoes. It's just on the outskirts of Kununurra. And he says the drop in prices, labour challenges and weather conditions meant continuing with picking just wasn't worth it. It was an unfortunate decision that was made. It was just an economic decision. We'd had a fair bit of rain and our pickers had moved on and the price for that variety of fruit had dropped considerably so it wasn't viable to pick it and pack it and send it to market. How much fruit have you got left on the trees? Oh, look, it's hard to estimate, but I would say there'd be four or 500 bins and each bin would be 350 to 400 kilos of fruit. 90% of it would be the R2-ET variety 
which is good early in the season, but there's no demand for it now. And the Calypso, Honey Gold and KP variety just come over the top of it. What is a good price for a tray of mangoes? Oh, look, you have to look at 24, 25, you know, the mid, mid to high 20s to, for a good return and to make money. And what were they sitting at sort of towards the end of this season? Oh, look, some of the varieties were still sitting at that 24 to 28 to 30 $31. So, yeah, they will, they will survive. We're also governed a little bit by the amount that the chain stores take. There's getting less and less small fruit shops now and less and less outlets and we're getting dominated by the big players. So when do you, do you have a sort of like a break-even point? Do you do the sums and think this is, this is when I'm going to, to make that call? Yeah, look, it's, it's a big business and you, everyone does it. You've got to know your costs and it wasn't economical to keep going. How does it feel when you, when you have to make that decision? Is it, you know, something that you, you do reluctantly? Oh, look, you, you, you sit there and second-guess yourself and you think, should I or shan't I? But at the end of the day, you can't afford to have a loss. That, that's it in a nutshell. The fruit that is left here, what happens with that? Does that pose any risk or any disease threat? No, look, we'll just... Um, it'll drop, it'll ripen, it'll just drop on the ground and we'll run the mulches and the big slashes over the top of it and it'll just turn into fertiliser. So it's still, it's still useful in a way? <laughs> in a way it is, but it, it'd be nicer if it was on a truck and in a supermarket somewhere, but that's just the way it is. How did you go with staff this season and, and where did you get them from? Um, most of them were, we had contractors for the shed and we had contractors for the picking. Most of them come from down Robinvale and down on the Victorian border. They do stone fruit and um, citrus and they're professional pickers and that's what they do for a living. They travel around the countryside. There's getting less and less of them and it, it's a worry going forward because it's just not the people out there and it's the same with the trucking companies. They haven't got the drivers. It's a vicious circle at the moment. How much of a challenge was freight this year? You touched on it earlier, but where do you get your, your freight from? Freight is mainly we used a lot of what we call primary freight, which is part of Woolworths' group, and we used a lot of their return freight, which was good. But just the sheer volume of fruit and produce going south there was just not the number of trucks and that's all there was to it. And I suppose that that's looking like it might be a challenge again next year? Yeah, it will be a challenge, but we start planning now or in the new year. Everyone says the cycle will start to turn and there will be truck drivers, there will be people and the cycle will start to turn. Here's hoping it does. So looking ahead to next year, how are you feeling about uh, season 2023? It'll be an adventure. Um, and look there'll be challenges come along and you just overcome them and go forward it's not easy but I don't think anyone is doing it easy at the moment that's one way to look at it that's Steve Angel he runs Swag Rural Mangoes on the outskirts of Kununurra preparing for an adventure for next season he was speaking there with Steph Sinclair it's three to one 
G'day, Brian Nankervis here, just letting you know I have a very special guest on Songs and Stories. Hi there, this is Anthony Albanese on Songs and Stories. Not so much as Prime Minister, but just as a music fan. And in the second hour, Paul Kelly with his three significant songs. Catch up on the latest episode of Songs and Stories with Brian Nankervis and guests Anthony Albanese and Paul Kelly. Available now on the ABC Listen app. The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Michelle Stanley with you today. The company in charge of rehabilitating the decommissioned Ranger uranium mine near Jabiru has a new director. Dan Fitzgerald joins me. Dan, who has joined the board of the ERA? Uh, It is Ken Wyatt, the former Minister for Indigenous Australians in the Morrison government. He's been appointed as an independent non-executive director for Energy Resources Australia. So Ken Wyatt, he was the member for Hasluck in WA from 2010 until he lost his seat in the election earlier this year. Um, So this is all put out in a statement to the AXX uh, this morning Uh, in a statement Yeah, Ken Wyatt said, I'm delighted to join the board of ERA. The land on which the Ranger mine is situated is of huge cultural and environmental significance to the Mirage traditional owners, Australia and the world. He went on to say that ERA is undertaking one of the most complex rehabilitation projects globally to return the Ranger project area to a standard that it would enable it to be incorporated into the Kakadu National Park should this be the wish of traditional owners and authorities. So Ken White, he's filling one of the spots on the ERA board that was uh, left when three of the independent directors resigned back in October following a stoush over funding with its major shareholder Rio Tinto and uh, calls a potential for more uranium mining in Kakadu. Um, so they're slowly gathering some more people up on the board there. Uh, ERA shares as we go to air this afternoon, they're up 2% sitting at 24 cents. So the market is pleased with that from the looks of it. Thank you for that, Dan. Uh, We're heading off to the one o'clock news very shortly. After that, we're going to talk about oysters, some really good news heading into Christmas. If you're an oyster lover, you'll hear about that after the news. It's one o'clock. Hi, it's Dwayne Klinkamer here on board the Austral Hunter, part of the Northern Prawn Fishery, and we're in the Mooring Basin, or better known as the Duck Pond in Darwin. And you're listening to The Country Hour. Hello, good afternoon. Michelle Stanley with you today. Hey, do you remember back in 2018, news of an illegal tobacco crop found near Catherine? All of a sudden, I was waking up at my new property by police. (laughs) I was shocked. What's it all about? What have I done? They wouldn't tell me, but uh, later on in the day... They told me, they said, look, you know, uh, we had to search the place for possibility of tobacco being grown here. There has been an update in that rather intriguing case. You'll get the details before half past one. Also, some good news just in time for Christmas, particularly if you're an oyster lover. Scientists have had a breakthrough in breeding a tropical rock oyster. 
close climate change and temperature increases and in warmer waters, it means the Sydney rocks can only go further south, so we can't actually increase it. So we're trying to find another species that oyster farmers can grow together, so when they have one problem with one oyster, the other one can still get to market. Look, maybe nothing to get excited about for this Christmas, but potentially some good news for the future. It's six past one. Let's get some weather now. Sally Cutter is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology, and there's been a bit of rainfall about Sally. What kind of totals have you seen? Oh, there's been some pretty big ones. If we just start with the 24-hour to 9am this morning, the Croker Island had 107 millimetres, Central Waterhouse 80.4, Warrawee 62.4, Beam Boom Crossing 50.4, Adelaide River on the Arnhem Highway 53, the Upper Waterhouse River 52.2, Maranboy Hill 50, the same, Dry River 52 as well. And Upper Adelaide River had 51.8 and Snowdrop Creek had 51.4. And the, the others are all under 50 millimetres. But, so there's a lot of some reasonably big totals out there. And if you're looking at so what's with the tops over the last 72 hours in the Darwin area, it hasn't been quite so much, but Nuckies Lagoons managed to get 86 millimetres, the Howard River 53, Kangaroo Flats 55, in the greater to the western top end, we've some big, good falls out there. The Adelaide River East was 97 millimetres, Beam Boom Crossing 88, Floral River at Stony Creek 83 millimetres, 103 at Doris Vale Crossing, 90 at out in Pill and Gympie at the airport there. If you Arnhem districts, the that 100, 110 at Croker Island, 70, the last 72 hours, the so most that fell in the last 24. And 28 millimetres out of Owen Pally, right down in the MacArthur, the Rose MacArthur area, to Central Waterhouse, 81 millimetres, Snowdrop Creek, 52, 58 up, up Waterhouse, the Victoria River District, 49 at Pigeonhole, 47 at Delamere Range. The, and as we go further south, there's, the numbers are much smaller. But having said that, Curtin Springs has had 11 millimetres, Wollongaroo, 28, and Yulara, 29. And in the eastern parts, in the Simpson district, we're looking at 0.2 at Javoice and Territory Great 1. But there are a few showers and storms starting to pop up in the already in the eastern Simpson district and the northeast Barclay, as well as right across the, really actually through the eastern Carpentaria districts again. And we've had a couple of golf lines come across. One of them has come, is already onto the coast. Another one is sort of about, so would just crossing the border if you drew a line straight south from it and then looks like there's another one that's just come off Cape York as well. So there's multiple lines coming across the Gulf and we should see the showers and storms pick up over the eastern top western top end this afternoon. But we're already seeing the activity starting to bubble in the southern Tanami this today already. So plenty more to come by the sounds and I hear there's a potential oh, yeah. monsoon on the way. Is that the case? Yes. We are we're looking very closely at, at a low or low that's going to develop in the Timor Sea over the next couple of days. We that as that moves south, it'll drag the, the trough onto or it's probably a, a chicken and the egg. So as the monsoon wraps around, comes down over the top end, the, the low will will develop a little bit more, and but the low developing will pull the monsoon in. So that's over the top end Thursday. It moves south pretty quickly and. It's only got a. It's probably going to reach the coast before it can develop too much. Okay, so how much the, rain and then, could be in it if you know if it is oh, quite quick moving? 
Uh, we, we're looking at so when, when it does come down the coast of 30 to 50 millimetres with falls up to so about 80 millimetres along the coast. The, and this is in the bottom half of the catchments. Once it gets inland, we, it's actually quite complex through central Australia. We've got a trough coming in from WA and that's going to help drag that moisture down into central Australia. So we could be seeing sort of 30 to 50 millimetres right through to the central parts of the NT and even the southern parts of the NT as we go towards the end of the week. Combine and as that low moves in through the Gregory, we could see rainfall up to about 100 mils near the, near the centre or maybe even more depending on how well it's much moisture it's, it's carrying as it comes in. So there's going to be good rainfall right across the NT and they just just be aware that the, the creeks the, the may come up a little bit or a lot the, and cut the roads and just if you're on the, the dirt roads so they, they could become a little bit boggy as well. So just, just really check the weather before you head out and not only what the weather is now doing but what, what it has done so just because those, even though it might be sunny now, if the roads are wet, that could cause issues with tra- travel. So central Australia will get a, a bit of rain as well. Anything else on the cards for, for the central regions? No, just just the rain. It's going, the cloud cover is going to make it relatively cool as well, but you're going, it's, it's mainly the rain and it's, it's going to be not just the one day, it's going to be multiple days of significant rainfall. Very good. Looking forward to it, Sally. Thanks for your time today. She's from the Bureau of Meteorology. It is 12 past one. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Oyster lovers can celebrate a breakthrough, particularly in warmer waters. Scientists from Queensland have successfully bred a heat-tolerant species to help aquaculture farmers battling warmer oceans, climate change and disease. Black lip rock oysters have been reared in a Northern Territory hatchery before, but this is the first time the native mollusks have been successfully bred so far south. Jennifer Nichols has this story. So we've just come down to the ponds at the research centre. So in the research centre, obviously, we have a mixture of laboratories, tanks, uh, climate-controlled rooms. At Queensland Fisheries' Bribe Island Research Centre, scientists Max Wingfield and Aidan Miller are working to future-proof the oyster industry. Here we have four large outdoor ponds, one of which we are trying to manage the algal blooms to provide a in-pond food source for larger oyster juveniles. Currently, all but one of Queensland's oyster farmers rely on producing Sydney rock oysters, a species increasingly plagued by the parasitic QX disease, which wiped out many oyster crops in New South Wales this year. Warmer water can stress the Sydney rock oyster. Its northern limit in Queensland is the town of 1770. That's restricted oyster farming to just 15% of the state's vast coastline. And Aidan Meller says the species is under increasing pressure. Climate change and temperature increases and warmer waters, it means the Sydney rocks can only go further south, so we can't actually increase it. So we're trying to find another species that oyster farmers can grow together, so when they have one problem with one oyster, the other one can still get to market. A hardy native species, blacklip rock oysters thrive in warmer northern Australian waters. But catching their tiny larvae in the ocean and successfully raising them is an incredibly time-consuming and unreliable process. So this year, the scientists tried breeding blacklip rock oysters at the Bribey Island Research 
Research Centre. They're uh, warmer water, a bit more tropical preference. So we've been bringing them down, we've been trying to grow them during winter just to see if they'll survive down here in Moreton Bay and biosecure ponds and they've seemed to have held up and they've survived through and they seem to be growing relatively similar to the Sydney rock oysters. The scientists succeeded in the tricky task of getting the planktonic free-swimming larvae to settle and form shells in their oyster nursery. So we've got some upweller systems where the water comes up through the mesh screen, pumping food to the oysters and then kind of comes back into the pond. Although black lip rock oysters have been reared in a northern territory hatchery before, Max Wingfield says it's the first time the native mollusks have been successfully bred so far south. We're very encouraged that the black lip have survived and done well and uh, now we're confident that they would perform well in a southeast Queensland environment. There's potential to do the early nursery okay. stage to provide the industry with a more climate secure supply of juvenile oysters. It's estimated that black lip and other tropical rock oysters could have a production value of 72.6 million dollars annually. That's more than double the value of the barramundi industry. In Bowen, 72-year-old John Collison runs Australia's only black lip rock oyster farm and he sent 35 large oysters down to Bribie Island so scientists can repeat the breeding experiment early in 2023. The problem that the Bowen farm has found is that they put out their spat collectors. They need to look after the spat collectors. They need to grow the spat for six, eight months before they can tell which spat are coral oysters or other species of oysters and which of the spat are black lip oysters. And yeah, they typically get about five to ten percent of what they've been growing as the oyster they want. As so the it's black not lip. efficient. Yeah. So the hatchery is much more efficient. We can provide them with 100% black lip oyster spat. And also with all the advances that modern agriculture, modern aquaculture is making with selective breeding and improvement. To get the carefully selected broodstock fit and fat enough to spawn in climate-controlled indoor tanks, Fishery Technical Officer Trevor Borchett feeds them a specially cultivated microalgae brew. Microalgae plays a really important part in aquaculture and research. A number of different species here. We've got five different microalgae species, all used for different various uh, research purposes. At a workshop, oyster farmers sampling black lip rock oysters for the first time gave them the thumbs up for looks texture and taste. The farmers, the Morton Bay farmers, were really extremely impressed. I was actually amazed at how enthusiastic they were about the black lip oyster. But much more work will be needed before the industry can expand. Black lip rock oysters have been found in the wild in Queensland as far south as the town of 1770. But the full extent of their range is unknown because most of Australia's ancient shellfish reefs have been destroyed. So because they're not recognised as native to Morton Bay, we have to go through through the appropriate process and all the regulators need to be confident that the black lip wouldn't pose any sort of an environmental problem if they were farmed in southeast Queensland. So there's a process to go through. What is certain is that oyster farming is considered one of the cleanest forms of aquaculture. They do a fantastic job in um, filtering and cleaning the water and improving the water quality of the environment. Yeah, so oyster farming is one of the few uh, zero-feed aquaculture. So you've got seaweed, oysters and I think probably mussels and other shellfish. Having oyster baskets on farms doesn't seem to take away from any of the local species. It seems to be a complex habitat for all sorts of small crabs and fish and a lot of the oyster farmers out in Morton Bay often talk about the turtles and the other species which like to inhabit in and around their leases. So it's, yeah, perfect, perfect aquaculture. 
Aidan Meller is a research scientist with Queensland Fisheries, ending that story by Jennifer Nichols. It's 18 past one on the Country Hour. This is Adam Brand. It's called Good Things in Life. Born and raised in Western Australia, that is Adam Brand and the good things, good things in life rather. It's 22 past one. Yo, my name's David Mariela Yunapingu. I work at the Ranger and uh, culture advisor, taking all the kids, learning on country, and you're listening to the Country Hour. Good to have you along this afternoon. Now, a Victorian man has been sentenced for growing an illegal crop of tobacco near Catherine back in 2018. Dan Fitzgerald joins me in the studio. Dan, you were in Catherine when this tobacco bust happened. What can you tell us? Yeah, well, it caused quite a bit of stir around town. Mm. There was a lot of, lot of interest in this. So, yeah, police had received a tip-off uh, about an illegal crop of tobacco being grown down near the Catherine River. So a property on Florina Road was raided and nearly seven hectares of an irrigated tobacco crop was found there. Um, There were also several shipping containers filled with tobacco being dried on racks. Uh, It was all estimated to be worth over $13 million at the time. And we can tell you that a man has now pled guilty to growing the crop in the NT Supreme Court, uh, Ali Taleb. He was sentenced to 15 months in prison, suspended after three months. Um, in sentencing remarks, Justice Brownhill said she took into account that Ali Taleb was a family man, but due to the very serious nature of the offending, a short period of time behind bars was warranted. Now, you actually went out to the farm where the tobacco was grown after it was raided. What, what did you see? Yeah, well, yeah, about six months after the raid happened, I, I found the man who actually owned the land. Now, he wasn't involved with the tobacco operation at all. He had no knowledge uh, that it was being grown there. Um, and he, he invited me out to have a look at what was left of the property. Um, so when I got there, I found a whole heap of tobacco plants that had just regrown. <laughs> so after the police raid, a contractor came in, bulldozed the entire crop. But of course, after some wet season rains, um, a fair bit of the tobacco had, had re-sprouted and, and regrown. Um, and at the time, back in 2018, I had a chat with Sung Yang, the Catherine Farmer. Uh, we're going to replay a little bit of it here. Um, and he started telling me that he believed he was selling the property to a man who said he was going to grow eggplants. So I said, that's good. You know, it will be really suitable for eggplant too because it went well for cassava, so uh, eggplant should be okay. So... He bought the property from me. I signed a contract to purchase, but he asked for delayed settlement. So I said, well, that's all right, you know, as long as you pay rent during the, uh, bef- during the period before settlement. So he did. In fact, he paid uh, the rent in advance. So I was quite happy. <laughs> I said, that's great. <laughs> I sold the property and I got I collected uh, some rent as well. So I left the place to, to him. So he, he moved here and started you know, preparing the, the, the place. And I had a very good irrigation system all set up here from, for growing cassava. So, and then all of a sudden, on the 27th of uh, July, I was waking up at my new property by police. <laughs> I was shocked. What's it all about? What have I done? And they wouldn't tell me. 
But uh, later on in the day, they told me, they said, look, you know, uh, we had to search the place for possibility of tobacco being grown here. I said, tobacco? Is, it, is tobacco illegal to be grown? <laughs> I didn't know that. I said, but uh, anyway, I don't grow tobacco, I grow cassava. So you had no idea that tobacco was being grown at this property? No, I had no idea. I thought it was eggplant. <laughs> In fact, I, was he- I came here a couple of times when it was growing, and I saw it from a distance. I said, oh, that's, that's good egg- eggplant. You know, in fact, I, had a, I eventually checked up on eggplant and tobacco. When they were small, they looked almost exactly the same. So I, I didn't tell, you know, I wasn't able to tell the difference. So how much tobacco was being grown here? Uh, about nine hectares altogether, and it was uh, growing very well, very closely planted, and I believe they harvested six and a half tons of it. <laughs> so they had a pretty professional setup, did they? Oh, very, very professional. Yeah, they had seeding, seedling cups and all that, a whole lot of them. They, they even had harvesters and plows and tractors and bulldozers, everything, to, to clear the land properly again and lay lay out all the sort of paddock in, in actually a very professional way, better than my cassava plantation. <laughs> yeah. And it was all being irrigated? Yes, it was irrigated fully, completely. Yeah. I had an irrigation system set up for cassava, see, so they were using that. In fact, they extended it a little bit to the, to the, to the end paddock here. Why do you think they chose Catherine as a spot to, uh, to grow their next crop? First of all, they chose this place, my, my property, because they came here. They, uh, after checking a lot of properties around Catherine area and from Darwin to here, and they found that this place has very good water. The water can be pumped straight from Catherine River, which is right next, you know, right uh, next to the property. And the soil is very good. It's very rich, uh, sandy loam, river sort of uh, sediment. Also, probably, they like the, the, the fact that it's uh, two and a half k from the uh, paddock to the road. And we're surrounded by scrub here. Yeah, that's right. There's no neighbour with uh, this empty block there. And on the, on the eastern side, also nobody. So what's happened to this place since the bust happened? Well, I thought I sold it. But now, because of uh, the fellow who, who was supposed to buy it, is now awaiting trial, I believe. So he's uh, told me already that he can't continue with a purchase. So I got the bloody thing back. <laughs> In a mess. That's a trouble. Yeah, and uh, tell us about that mess. Uh, what happened here on the day the bus happened? Well, they had a contractor who had a, either a bulldozer or a big loader or something that uh, just went ahead and pushed everything over and piled them up in the, in the windrow, uh, all along the, the paddock, making a complete mess. And uh, that's it. And they just left it. They reckon that was it. The, the, the job's done. But they're obviously not farmers, because as farmers, as, like me, I have, I've done harvesting you know, and preparation of ground before. And uh, when you have been growing a, a plant, that uh, that's quite hardy and can see in, in, in four, three, four months, you have to clear it properly and spray it. But they didn't, they, they didn't do that. Obviously, they, uh, the ATO people, or at least the contractor they hired, didn't know it. 
Sung Young, he's a Catherine Farmer speaking with Dan Fitzgerald back in 2018. And the news today that a Victorian man, Ali Taleb, has been sentenced to 15 months in prison, suspended after three months for growing that illegal tobacco crop back in 2018. That's it from the Country Hour. It's 1.30.